Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Well, today is the final uh, week of our four-week journey through the book of Jonah. Uh, And what we're finding out is that this famous story in the scripture has way more to say to us than uh, a simple lesson about obeying God for the first time. Uh, But rather, what we're learning, and just to kind of recap where we've been, in the first week, uh, we discovered that Jonah disobeyed God's call to preach in Nineveh uh, because he actually couldn't stand the thought of living with a God who could show compassion and love toward those evil, murderous uh, Ninevites. Uh, Nineveh, as we've been reminding ourselves throughout this series, was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire at this time in, the, in history was the most uh, violent, evil, murderous empire the world had ever seen. And so here God calls his prophet Jonah to go and preach uh, to these, this empire. And Jonah basically says, no way. I would rather die than live with a God who would show compassion on people like that. And what we learned in the first week is that uh, we are actually implicated in the story. And we are forced to ask ourselves, are there any ways in which we are kind of like Jonah, where we, we don't like the idea of God loving those whom we consider enemies? And then in week two, we learned that that God walks with us through our lowest, darkest moments of our life. The moments when God feels most absent actually can be the moments when God uh, forms us and shapes us the most if we will wake up to the presence of God in the midst of the pain. And then last week, uh, through the use of, of satire, we learned that sometimes God is at work And truth is being told in some of the most unexpected places and among the most unexpected people uh, that we could imagine. And so in Jonah, there's actually this this kind of reversal of roles uh, in Jonah where the pagans are most in tune with the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God is doing, uh, while God's own prophet is numb to the work of the Spirit. Uh, And what we found last week is that we found ourselves sort of implicated again. Are there any ways in which... Uh, we as the people of God have become numb uh, to the Spirit and His work and, and haven't, haven't recognized where the Spirit of God is at work, even in the most unexpected places. Uh, well, here's what I want to say. If you have found yourself uh, particularly challenged or inspired or encouraged by this series, or if it's been helpful to you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Uh, and so I would encourage you to send me an email. My email address, my email address list, that goes directly to me is listed right there in the back of your bulletin. I would love to hear about how God is, is working in your life and stirring in your heart. Uh, or I would also love to meet with you face to face and just hear about, how, uh, about God's activity and work in your life as a result of this series and be able to celebrate that together. So uh, we're thankful for all the ways that God has spoken to us. And so what we want to do today is look at the last chapter of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. So uh, I'm going to read the entire chapter to us, uh, and then uh, let's look at it and explore it together. So it says this, uh, Jonah chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And remember, chapter 3 ended with uh, God saw that all that they did, that is that Nineveh had repented, all the people in Nineveh had repented, uh, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. That's how, that's how chapter 3 ends, and then this is how chapter 4 uh, begins. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Uh, 
now, and he's in reference to the effectiveness of his own ministry. So uh, to the fact that all these Ninevites have repented to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. In fact, the, uh, the Greek word here is, is actually uh, evil. This seemed actually very evil to Jonah that this would happen. So, uh, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So now, Lord, take, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Now Jonah had gone out and sat on a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Well, then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort, and Jonah uh, was very happy about the plant. Uh, But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? (laughs) It is, he said, it is. And I'm so angry that I wish I were dead. Now, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also all the animals. (laughs) This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, we remember when we left the story that Jonah had gone into the city of Nineveh, he had preached this message, uh, this passionate passionate message. He said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And uh, the whole city repents, including the animals. Remember, this is supposed to be funny. This is supposed to be satirical. And then the king of the world's most violent empire calls all people to turn from their violence and to repent. Uh, end of story, right? If you were to read this in a children's Bible, this would be the end of the story, and Jonah is the hero. Uh, he has, he has uh, caused this great city to repent. And so the moral of the story is, of course, obey God the first time. Or the moral of the story is, God can use you for his glory even when you are disobedient. Or the moral of the story is uh, that God can use even the most unlikely of people, including you, (laughs) and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, right? Uh, And that would be true, except you have this annoying little thing called Jonah chapter 4. And Jonah chapter 4 is just really, really strange, uh, it's also the most, it's the most ignored part of the story. Uh, and, and so here in chapter 4, the satire uh, is churned up to 11, if you know what I mean, right? Uh, sometimes when we want to start a dance party at our house, we say, Alexa, start a dance party and churn it to 11. And then she just blares as loud as she can, right? Uh, and so, this, so in the satire, this is exactly what's happening. It's like it's churning the satire up to 11. And uh, this is just like the really strangest part of the story. This whole deal about the plant is absolutely bizarre. Would you agree? 
Uh, I hope that you would, right? This is so weird, and it's so weird in a story about a guy who was swallowed by a fish and survived, right? So this is like, we don't know what to do with Jonah chapter four. So let's unpack it a little bit. And and actually what I want to do is I wanna frame this so that you understand that Jonah chapter four is actually two identical scenes that are kind of telling the same story, but in two different ways. Uh, So it's two scenes that are accomplishing the same thing. In the first scene, Jonah is inside of the city. He sees the effectiveness of his own ministry and preaching, and he is disgusted. (laughs) Now, I don't know of any pastor where this has ever happened. Like, where you go to, like, pastor meetings, like, dorky pastor meetings, uh, and then they're like, hey, man, like, how's your church going? And, oh, it's fine. I'm just so disgusted. We've grown by, like, 50% this year, you know? Our budgets are way up. We're building a whole new wing, and it's just making me sick, right? Like, this doesn't happen, right? But here it is. Jonah is absolutely disgusted with the effectiveness of his own ministry. And, in fact, he tells God in this first scene why he ran in the first place. And you'll remember that we covered this in, ch- in week one. Uh, But what he essentially says is this, these awful people repenting and turning to God is precisely what I was trying to avoid in the first place. And so he tells God, I knew, God, that you were compassionate and kind, that you were slow to anger, that you're abounding in love, and so I knew that something like this would happen. Uh, Now remember that he's actually quoting God's own description of himself back to God as an insult right? This is like, this is pretty bold. Like, you got to be like, you know what? Jonah's like, like, he's kind of pretty BA. You know what I mean saying? Like, he's like, some of you don't know what I mean by BA. That's okay. Uh, but, but it's like, it's like he is like getting after it, you know? I mean, he's telling God, he's quoting God's own description of himself back to God as an insult. This is crazy. Uh, but eventually, Jonah stops the conversation and he says, just kill me now. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, that escalated pretty quickly. You know, just kill me now. In other words, Jonah would rather die than watch this city repent. Let that sink in. Like Jonah, God's prophet, would rather die than to watch this city repent. And so actually, we're right back where we started from in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah can't stand to live with a God who has compassion for his enemies. And if you see this story for what it is, you have to sit back and you have to appreciate Jonah's honesty. <laughs> you have to appreciate his honesty because, but, because listen, I, I wonder how many times that is actually true of many of us, but we just don't have the courage to be that honest. That, that, that there's a certain group of people that are like out there, over there, outside, sort of like whatever walls we've built around ourselves, there are people that are in, there's people that are out, and the people that are out, we would just assume that, that, that God not show any compassion on them at all. And if we were really honest, if we, if we really came into contact with God's deep, unending, gracious, compassionate love for those people, if we were really honest, we might have the same exact reaction as Jonah. It just says, I, I, I can't live in the in circle anymore if they're going to be in. You with me? Now, we've been looking at some poetry throughout this uh, passage, or throughout this series, and I think this is a perfect time for another one. This one is called Reprimand to a Naive Deity. It says this, 
I will not advertise this crazy scheme of yours. God, what a farce that men should escape sin, that men should sin and find escape. I mean, of course, not me, but all of our mutual antagonists. Dear God, kind God, don't listen to their prayers. Right? Now, in the second scene, it's the deal with the plant. The second scene. In the second scene, this time Jonah is not uh, in the city, but he's outside of the city. And in fact, he goes outside of the city to try to find a place on a hillside to look out on the city and to see what will happen. God has promised destruction, but because, of, but because they repented, uh, they, now it seems that God is not going to destroy uh, the city just as Jonah had wanted. And so really what he, go, he goes out on a hillside to look out at the city to, to see what will happen to Nineveh. Will God follow through on his commitment to destroy the city? Or maybe better, will the people repent of of their repentance. <laughs> right? And so Jonah, he, he gets a bird's eye view of what's happening. Now while he's there, uh, he makes, the best that he can, he makes a shelter for himself. It's hot out there on the, on the hillside. Uh, and so he provides for himself a shelter as best as he can. But here's what happens in the story. God provides a plant and it makes Jonah happy. Uh, the, the plant is able to provide shade from the heat. It's a nice place to rest. And so Jonah very quickly becomes attached to this plant and recognizes that his experience outside of the city would be much worse without this plant that God provided. Okay? Right? Like, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird. Let's just admit that uh, uh, up front. This is so weird. Well, then the next day, the scripture tells us that God provides a worm to eat the plant, and so the plant dies. So get this, like kind of get this picture in your mind. Jonah goes outside of the city, finds himself on a hillside. He wants to see what happens to the city. Will God actually destroy the city as he said he would? Or will the people repent of their repentance? And as best he can, he makes a little shade for himself while he, while he does this. God provides a plant. It grows up. It provides a, a shade and it makes Jonah happy. And he's so thankful for this plant. God provides a worm, the plant dies, and Jonah loses his mind. Like Jonah absolutely goes crazy. He says, again, he would rather die. And God asks, is your anger about this plant justified? Do you see the satire here? Like, in, remember, satire, like, uses, uh, uses comedy to critique the human condition, and it usually takes these stock characters and puts them kind of in, in exploded situations or exaggerated situations. And so here he is, he's, he's gone, he's gotten really, really attached to the plant, and God says, is your anger over the plant justified? And Jonah insists that his anger is. He says, yes, my anger is justified over this plant. In fact, he says, I am so angry, I wish I would just die. Now think about this. Jonah's like got a death wish, right? I mean, in chapter one, he's like, throw me overboard and I'll die into the sea because I don't want to go to Nineveh. And then I would, rather, I would rather die than live with a God who would have compassion on my enemies. And then again in chapter three or chapter four, it's twice now that Jonah is praying, I wish I would rather just be dead. Again, you have to... You have to really appreciate his honesty. 
But this is ancient satire in overdrive. And I, I want you to just see the ridiculousness of what's happening. Because here's, here's how the book ends. God says, you've gotten yourself all worked up about this plant. Isn't it right then for me to have a similar concern for the Ninevites? The end. Wait, what? <laughs> like that's how the story ends. And we may be tempted to think that a chapter is missing or something has gone wrong, uh, but that's it. The story ends. The story ends with God asking Jonah a question. And then we have no idea what happens. There are two mentions of Jonah in scripture. Jonah, the whole book, and then one passage uh, in 2 Kings. That's all we know about Jonah. Isn't that crazy? But not only that, we don't get the end of his story. We don't find out what happens. And so uh, the, it, it, it's absolutely crazy. In fact, before we started this series, someone came up to me and said, I'm so excited about the Jonah series. I love Jonah. I just don't like that there's no ending. <laughs> and I said, don't worry, we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> so here we are, we're talking about that. The story ends with, with God asking Jonah a question, but we don't get the ending. And Jonah's so angry over this plant. And I would say to you that this is the point of God's question. God's, the point of God's question is this. You are so worked up about this, here something small, doesn't it make sense then that God, that I, God, have a similar concern over that something huge? You with me? God says to Jonah, you've gotten so concerned over this, something tiny and small, isn't it, doesn't it make sense that I would be concerned over that, something huge? That's satire. <laughs> and Jonah says, no. <laughs> yes, or yes, it is justified that I would be so angry. And here, here's what we're supposed to do. As a reader, we need to realize that the story ends here because the question isn't directed at Jonah. It's directed to us. You with me? It's like this, it's this aha moment in the story where you realize you aren't just reading a story, you are in the story. <laughs> How many of you love, this is like a throwback from the 80s. I gotta work on some new material for my illustrations, but here it goes. How many of you love the never ending story? Any fans? Like maybe, okay, good, good. Hey, this is great. Six of you have ever heard of the never-ending story. The never-ending story is about this, this little boy uh, whose mother dies and father becomes absent. And so uh, he's, he's bullied at school. He's a troubled little guy. And one day on his way to school, he's bullied. Uh, and, and so to escape the bullies, he goes into this bookstore. He gets this book called The Never-Ending Story about uh, a darkness that is overcoming this place called Fantasia. And, and, and he's, so he goes into the, the school, into the attic, of the school starts reading the story and he's reading it and then in the story while he's reading it he begins reading a description of himself 
And he has this aha moment where it's like, wait a second, this isn't just a story that I'm reading. This is a story that I am a part of, that I'm being invited into, that now all of a sudden I am a character in this story. This is the moment, this is the kind of aha moment that we should have at the end of Jonah. We should be the little boy in the never-ending story that goes, oh, wait a second, this is not just about a guy and a fish. This is about me, right? Do you remember when I said in, in week one that it doesn't really matter if we accept that Jonah is historical narrative uh, or something else, but that doesn't affect the truth of the story in any way? This is that moment, right? This is the moment where you realize it doesn't really matter if this happened in history because this is happening right now to me. God is asking me a question. And the question that God is asking me is, is it justified, God says to you and I, that you become so upset and, and fixated on this little thing, isn't it make sense then that I would be concerned about this giant thing over here? And so what happens is, listen, can you tell that I like Jonah? Like Jonah, this is, this is a great story. It is a beautifully constructed satire that highlights the madness of a prophet who is angry at God for killing a plant while that same prophet insists on the destruction of a city that he considers evil. I want you to hear this. It's a beautifully constructed satire of a prophet of God who is angry at God for destroying a plant while that same prophet insists, almost by way of temper, insists that God stay true to his promise to destroy the city. Like, all of us should be kind of having this moment of, like, that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> that Jonah would be like that. And, and, and we could, like, and we could look at that and we could think, oh, how that's so ridiculous and how Jonah is just so off base. But then in this brilliant churn of narrative, like the the author of the story just flips a mirror so that when you read the story, all of a sudden you're looking at yourself and you're like, oh, this has got a lot more, this got, this got real <laughs> right now. How could Jonah, oh, wait, this isn't about Jonah. It's about me. And God is asking me the same question. This story asks us two compelling and difficult questions. The first question it poses is this. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? Are you okay with God loving your enemies? That's a difficult question. And what I have found as I've been working through Jonah is that you can kind of handle, you can work with these questions kind of on a surface level and they won't affect you much. But if you take these questions seriously, they will begin to do work on your soul. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? But the second compelling question that comes out of chapter four is this, 
What small things do you value more than the big things that God is doing? What, what relatively small things do you hold up, do you value, do you push forward, but more than like kind of the big things that God is doing in the world? Because Jonah, Jonah loved this thing more than he loved God's care and compassion for those that weren't like him. And so sometimes it's an idea, sometimes it's an object, sometimes it's an ideology, but whatever it is, sometimes we bolster up this thing and that we become so, uh, so committed to this that we kind of miss that God is working over here, right? Which is precisely what we learned in chapter 3. And so I, I would submit these things just as starters. Do we love the idea of a violent and vindictive God because it justifies our own violence and vindictiveness? Like, are, are, are we bolstering up this idea that, that when it's right, God just kind of, kind of like can wipe everybody out, everybody that he wants to, everybody that he considers his enemies, and then I can just kind of align myself so that I'm always with, with on, on God's side. But here's the thing, anyone that's ever participated in violence always thinks that they're on God's side. <laughs> and, and sometimes I wonder if God is saying, you, you, you've come to love this plant so much that, that I'm just, I'm going to spring it up and kill it just to point out that I'm actually over here doing this thing. <laughs> right? Or, or, or wonder about this. Do we, do we value being right over being in relationship? I've grown up in the church and, and now my, my job is in the church. And so I, I think I can only speak from inside of the church. But, but I can tell you this. Uh, I can tell you that for a lot of people inside the church, we've come to value being right over being in relationship. And, and whether that's right about a theological belief or right about a particular situation or, or right about this or this, I mean, we've kind of made being right kind of the mark of faithfulness. And often then what happens is if we disagree or if there's some discord over what is right, then there's a break in relationship. And, and I, I, wonder, I wonder if God just might be saying being right is the plant, the small thing that you're making a giant deal of and maintaining and being in relationship is the the giant thing that you're maybe ignoring. You see what I'm saying? There's nothing that's easy about Jonah. <laughs> what we find is that it's a comedy and it's full of satire, but there is nothing that's easy about it. As soon as, as, soon as the, the last question is asked and the mirror toward, turns toward us as the readers, we find out there's not, actually nothing easy about this book. So I wonder if we value being right over being in relationship. Um, or or I, I wonder if we love our own sense of theological correctness more than relationships of love and humility and vulnerability. And, and the truth is, is that we could, we could talk on and on and on that there are a thousand examples of, of what is the thing in our life that is the plant, that is a small thing that we're making a giant thing of. 
And, and here's what happens. Sometimes if you make too big of a thing out of the plant, it becomes an idol. You're actually replacing that thing in, in, and, and treating that thing or that idea, that relationship as God. And, and God wants to say, no, that's not so much of a big deal, even though you're super concerned about it. But, but why don't I draw your attention over here to this great grand thing that I'm doing? For it is my every will and intention that these people in Nineveh would come to know me, those that you have once called enemies. See, you, you get what I'm trying to say? And let me just say this. If we will allow it, the implications of this question are enormous. The implications of this question are enormous. What small things are we holding on to that God is trying to show us, this is what I'm doing over here. <laughs> but we keep holding on to that small thing. And it's just like the plant that grew up overnight, that had nothing to do with Jonah. Jonah became attached to it and it died and he lost his mind. Well, I don't think it would be very fair to just um, kind of dump a question like that in your lap <laughs> without giving you some point of discernment. So here, here's a good point of discernment. When thinking about like this thing that I'm attached to, is, is God doing something over here that I'm not in tune to or that I'm not paying attention to? Have I made too big of a deal out of this thing? Here's, here's a good point of discernment. Um, we often say, uh, and I often, often try to remind us, that, that the whole narrative of Scripture uh, is about God bringing us to uh, a new creation. Uh, that, that God's plan and design is, is to one day rid the world of all evil, uh, of all hatred, of all divide and discord, uh, of illness and disease, all these things that don't belong, and bring about a new world, a new creation. That, that is to say that the Christian hope is not that we will get out of here, but rather that God is coming here, that, that, that God is, is planning to bring heaven to earth. This is why Jesus teaches his disciples, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is because the ultimate Christian hope is not that we someday fly away, but the, the hope is that one day God will bring his kingdom fully to bear on earth, just as it is in, in heaven. And so, so here's the point of discernment when thinking about the plant or the small things in our life that maybe God is doing something over here. Here's the question. Will this thing, this, this idea, this attitude, this object, this whatever, will it last or go on into God's new creation? Um, when we think about God making all things new, listen, there's a difference. Not God making all new things, but God making all things new right? When God does that, will this thing last? Will it go on into God's new world? If the answer is yes, then we should work to increase that thing. If the answer is no, then right here and right now, we should work to end that thing. Or maybe our commitment to that thing. And, and this becomes like, this is not an easy question. Please don't hear me as like being simplistic about this. Uh, this is a very, very nuanced, difficult question. But I think it's kind of a good point, first point of discernment 
when thinking about what is the activity of God and what is God up to. And I would, I would, I would also say this, even how we answer that question, the question of what will go on in God's new world, even how we answer that question reveals a lot about what we believe about the beauty of the gospel. But let me say this. Jonah is a book about the wide mercy of God. And if we are paying attention, this book will challenge us to the core. This book is about the wide mercy of God. And if we're paying attention, it will challenge us to the core. Now, in thinking about how to end this series and kind of all the ground that we've covered over the last four weeks, and given that this book is meant to be an invitation and to ask, draw us in to ask compelling questions, I decided that I wanted to end the series by reading the book of Jonah. The book. Not the chapter, not a few verses, but the book. Now, luckily, we can get through in about 10 minutes or less, right? Some of you are like, oh, here we go. <laughs> but, I, but this story, taken as a whole, does something different than taken in chunks. Uh, and, and given that we've kind of looked at it in chunks, I think that it will really speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, if we just read it in its entirety. Can we do that? I think we can. And uh, it's, uh, what I encourage you to do is stay tuned in, right? It, it might be, it might be uh, a temptation to kind of tune out, uh, but I really encourage you to tune in to the entire reading. Uh, think about all the ground that we've covered so far, um, and, and then, and then you allow this story to, to speak to you, allow God to speak to you through this story, uh, and then I have one closing poem, and we'll come to the table today, okay? All right. One day, long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They are in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board, joining those going to Tarshish as far away from God as he could get. But God sent a huge storm at sea, the waves towering. The ship was about to break into pieces and the sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. They threw everything they were carrying overboard to lighten the ship. But meanwhile, Jonah had gone into the hold of the ship to take a nap. He was sound asleep. Now the captain came to him and said, what's this? Sleeping? Get up! Pray to your God. Maybe your God will see that we're in trouble and rescue us. Then the sailors said to one another, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's draw straws to identify the culprit on this ship who is responsible for this disaster. So they drew straws, and Jonah got the short straw. 
Then they grilled him. Confess, why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? And Jonah told them, I am a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. At that, the men were frightened, really frightened. And they said, what on earth have you done? Now, as Jonah talked, the sailors realized that he was running away from God. And so they said to him, what are we going to do with you to get rid of this storm? Now, by this time, the sea was wild and totally out of control. And Jonah said, throw me overboard into the sea, and then the storm will stop. It's all my fault. I'm the cause of the storm. Get rid of me, and you'll get rid of the storm. But no. The men tried rowing back to shore, but they made no headway. The storm only got worse and worse. It was wild and raging. And then they prayed to God, Oh God, don't let us drown because of this man's life, and don't blame us for his death. For you are God. Do what you think is best. So they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and immediately the sea quieted down. The sailors were impressed no longer terrified by the sea, but in awe of God. They worshiped God, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. Then God assigned a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish's belly three days and nights. And then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed this, In trouble, deep trouble, I prayed to God, and he answered me. From the belly of the grave, I cried, help, and you heard my cry. You threw me into the ocean's depths, into a watery grave, with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I said, I have been thrown away and thrown out, out of your sight. I'll never again lay eyes on your holy temple. Ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was as far down as any body can go. And the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. And yet you pulled me up from that grave alive. Oh God, my God, when my life was slipping away, I remembered God and my prayer got through to you, made its way all the way to your holy temple. Now those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love. But I am worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving. And I'll do what I promised I would do for salvation belongs to God. And then God spoke to the fish and it vomited up Jonah onto the seashore. Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them, for they're in a bad way, and I can't ignore them any longer. Now this time, Jonah went straight off for Nineveh, obeying God's orders by the letter. Nineveh was a big city, very big. It took three days to walk across. And Jonah entered the city, went one day's walk in and preached, in 40 days, Nineveh will be smashed. But the people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlap to show of their repentance. Everyone did it, rich and poor, famous and obscure. 
uh, leaders and followers. And when the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up on his throne, threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and sat down in the dirt. And then he issued a public proclamation throughout Nineveh, authorized by him and his leaders, that, that said this, not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, or animal, including your herds and your flocks. Dress all of them, both people and animals, in burlap and send them a cry for help to God. Everyone must turn around, turn back from your evil life in the violent ways that have stained their hands. For who knows, then maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us and quit being angry with us and let us live. God saw what they had done, that they had turned away from their evil lives, and he did change his mind about them. And what he said he would do to them, he didn't. And Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew that you were sheer grace and mercy, that you are not easily angered, that you are rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your, pro, your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me because I'm better off dead. God said, what do you have to be so angry about? But Jonah left. He went outside of the city to the east and he sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. And then God arranged a broad leaf tree that sprung up. And it grew over Jonah to cool him off and to get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and he enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. But then God sent a worm. By dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree and it withered away. The sun came and God sent a hot blistering wind from the east and the sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint and he prayed again, I am better off dead. And God said to Jonah, what right do you have to get angry about this shade tree? And Jonah said, I have plenty of right and I am angry enough to die. And God said, what is this? <laughs> How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and it died the next. So why can't I likewise change the way I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? For this big city is more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong. And that's to say nothing of all the innocent animals. I leave you with this poem before we come to the table today. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. 
And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's in their comfortable houses to come around to God's way of loving. Let's pray. God, we admit today that Jonah, this compelling story, hits us right in the face. (laughs) It challenges us. And so, God, my prayer is that as your spirit is active in this place, uh, that you would allow us to take the challenges of Jonah. And that, Lord, you would stir in our hearts and in our spirit to bring us to a place where we can not only accept but celebrate the wide love and mercy that you offer. For God, we confess today that you are a gracious and compassionate God who is slow to anger, who is abounding in love. And God, may our hearts be so that when we confess those words, we don't feel anger rising up and want to throw it back at you as an insult, but rather, God, we want to say, that that is true not only for us and how you feel about me and us, but God, how you feel about anyone that we might consider them. So God, stir in our midst and work in our lives today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.